Hello, I'm uh, sitting here today about to have a chat with an old pal, collaborator and uh, jazz uh, pianist extraordinaire, uh, the wonderful Zoe Rahman. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm all right. I have to ask, of course, uh, we were just chatting before, um, you've had a very difficult time getting back into your house, but you're there now. Um, the work is continuing. Is your kitchen accessible? Can you cook food? Funnily enough, the first time we tried to cook food, there was no gas coming out of the uh, gas oh, oven. So no. oh. we had to change our dinner plans. <laughs> <laughs> we had a salad that night. Well, I'm glad you're back in. And don't take this the wrong way. I often think of food in relation to yourself when I've worked with you. <laughs> Many so people. Many people do. <laughs> so, <laughs> the only one. <laughs> so, I, so I might... Actually, on the... On that note, yes. sorry, Paul, no, when I used to play with Courtney and we used to tour, you know, Courtney Pye yes. in his band, they used to call me three, three plates ramen. <laughs> and quite, so no, no, that's brilliant. And it's quite a kind of jazz-like nickname as well, three plates ramen. It's quite a good, like New Orleans old pianist sort of thing. Uh, it's really nice to chat to you. And I just, I obviously, I we know each other well, but I just wanted to begin can you remember the first time you sat at a piano and played it? If so, where was it and what was the situation? Well, it was actually, I mean, I don't remember the exact first time, but it would have been on a piano, a uh, £10 piano that my parents bought, um, which had woodworm and sort of candelabra type things. <laughs> sort of bought it just for us as a bit of a toy to put in a playroom, you know, and never yeah. expected any of us to do anything. My older sister ended up having piano lessons and so, and then I went for piano lessons. Anyway, then we all turned, you know, we just were a bit musical, basically. <laughs> and my parents had no idea, but they sort of had to go along with it because they bought the piano by then and it was too late. We just carried on from there. So how old were you, roughly? That would have been about four, probably. But I had my, and then I remember having my first piano lessons with, you know, a teacher sitting down. And I actually did, I found when I was clearing out stuff, you know, with this whole house move thing. Yeah, and yeah. I came across, you know, some sort of old, old certificates. Apparently, according to the certificate, I was four when I did my first wow. sort of public performance. Because they used to have, back in the day, when like music was sort of supported by the local council and things like that, they used to have these sort of countywide competitions and so my our piano teacher would put us in for these you know you just perform in public it's just a chance to perform in public and there's a little panel and they would write a certificate just about you you know it's just a chance to perform um it didn't matter what it was we you know it would just have been very simple pieces and they even had i remember they had a sort of category for sight reading can you imagine sight reading uh, in front of an audience <laughs> age five you know <laughs> so um you know, those things, I don't think they kind of exist anymore on that level. It was an amazing um, time. I think I was that era was really good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As you say, the opportunities. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, because I've been asking this to various people. I had a teacher when I was about 14 who was very inspirational, an English teacher, and kind of provoked me a little bit into the idea that possibly acting could be something that you could actually do. Do you, do you have any teacher equivalent of that in your kind of younger years who inspired you or provoked you? Well my pr primary school teacher Mrs Hawkins who I've still kept up with um, 
yeah I mean again in primary schools but she was amazing she played piano she did so much music with us we did end of year shows all the you know loads of different things and she had recorder classes guitar classes so you know it just music was just a natural part of my everyday life at school and at home you know so leading on from there I mean it was just that's just what you did and she encouraged it encouraged it in us and my siblings um and then eventually when I was 11 I went to the like junior royal academy so you know I had various like teachers up to that point and then from there yeah my teacher at the academy again who I'm still in touch with she's in her 90s now we came to a gig recently a couple of gigs recently it was amazing because oh, I hadn't fantastic. seen her for so many decades you know and then <laughs> she just appeared yeah she you know, I, I didn't pursue the classical side of things, as yes. you know. My older sister sort of did all that. She went to the menu in school, and but I went down, yeah, the jazz route. Basically, I like making my own stuff up. I wasn't too good at learning someone else's pieces. Those are the people that in, kind of, like, encouraged me. Because your parents weren't musical, am I right? They, they weren't musicians. My mum was a doctor, my dad yeah. was a teacher, in fact, a theatre. Like, he was in theatre. He, he ran a sort of adult education college. He, he was big into Shakespeare and poetry um and listen to a lot of music but they weren't musicians so in terms of you know but he encouraged me again like there was lots of we, we grew up in Chichester in West Sussex and you know any opportunity yes. to go and listen to music so at the festival theatre although Chichester festivities used to be a festival every year but lo lots and lots of different artists would come through and go and see any performance we could go and see you know they'd take on you know theatre music anything and what about when you were kind of in your teenage years, were you in bands? Did you play in a group well, at school? Or? My brother and I, not at school, my brother and I used to play. He, had a, he was in a band at school and we used to listen to like Herbie Hancock and, you know, Miles Davis, all kinds of proof. Horace Silver, that yeah. album, sung for my father, you know. That's oh, yes, yes, yeah. Wow. And, you know, we just used to try and play. I, was, I have to admit, I was pretty rubbish, <laughs> but I... I just, I had some, I do remember, again, looking through some old diaries, I saw that I did actually, I'd written in my diary, like, I had, like, jazz piano lessons. It says in there, jazz piano wow. lessons. I was a teenager. The main thing I remember from what he taught me was he made me a cassette, which I listened to over and over. And on one side, it had Dizzy Gillespie, Nineteen Years yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on tapes, you would just switch the direction. Yeah, yeah. So if you switch the direction when it got to the end of that track, then it would play um, Chaka Khan's version. Oh. So I would sort of flip, flip between those two things. And that's really the, my listening, you know, the rest of the stuff that he showed me. I didn't enjoy the lessons as such because that was too formal. I just wanted to listen to the music and absorb it that way. And then I tried to play with my brother. We sort of played. But it wasn't really till college and then after college. I was quite a late starter, really, when it comes to jazz. You know, and I'm still learning it now. No, absolutely. God, it's a lifelong thing, isn't it? Was there anybody that you, or early memories, it doesn't have to be that early, but memories of seeing somebody play live that had a big impact on you? I very clearly remember the first jazz gig I went to in Pittsburgh. And because up to that point, I've been going to see, you know, classical concerts or, yeah, yeah all kinds of things. But jazz, the first real jazz gig in a sort of jazz atmosphere you know with a yeah. bar at the back people having yeah. a drink having a bit of you know that atmosphere people yeah of course yeah, yeah. and the band playing interacting with each other playing without music and improvising 
I was just totally fascinated. I'm like, at that point, I just thought that is that is what I want to do. Ah, how old were you then, Zoe? Early teenage, probably. I don't remember exactly, but around that time. And so from then, because there wasn't very much opportunity, you know, it was Chichester, it's not like London where you can just go to as many jazz clubs as you feel like, you know, pre-lockdown. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But it's a big, it's quite a profound moment, isn't it, when you see something and you, as a young person, you go, that's what I want to do. And I think that's... Absolutely. And it does not... It's not necessarily doing exactly what that thing is, but being in part of that world or being part of that imaginative place. I remember seeing when I came to London, I was about 17 to see some plays and I didn't really know very much. And most of them were quite conventional until I saw a production of Metamorphosis with Stephen Burkoff and Tim Roth, a very young Tim Roth. And it was so physical as he turned into this beetle and climbed around this frame. I thought... I want to do that because I didn't quite know that <laughs> theatre could be like that. So it's a big thing. That, that when you suddenly... of, yeah, that light bulb moment where it's like, oh, oh, music can be like that, you know. Yes. And you're absolutely right when sometimes you, it is exactly as you say, like when you think, oh, you mean you can do it like that? And then having licence to do that yourself or being given permission almost to yeah. pursue that yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, a question about regret. Is there anybody that you regret not seeing playing live, whether someone, you missed an opportunity, who would that be? What was that? Well, it's funny because when you, have <laughs> been thinking about this regret thing, like the only things that I really regret in life are jazz musicians I've not seen. That's brilliant. I love that, Zoe. That is a brilliant thing to regret. <laughs> That's very good. Because there's nothing, you know, other regrets you can try and do something about, like, you know, character flaws or things that I've said to people, you can, yeah. like, <laughs> You could kind of like try and change those, but actually someone who's not around anymore, that you yeah, missed that opportunity yeah. to go and see. So in, I think it was 89, around that time, my brother and I had tickets to go and see Mars Davis. <gasps> but oh then my gosh, he, where was he, he passed away. So like, then we didn't get to go. Oh, I have, a, I have a similar story about having tickets in the early 90s to see Freddie Hubbard at the Jazz Cafe. I'd bought the tickets and then he had something wrong with his mouth. He couldn't play. So they cancelled, and then a few months later, he was dead. Oh, yeah. terrible. Same, and I have a lot of those stories, like Alice Coltrane, it's about to hear her, and then she's passed, you know. But recently, you know, I've watched that film, um, the, the Aretha Franklin movie. Oh, OK. You've got okay. to go and see that. I watched it in the cinema, actually, last year. Amazing footage of a live concert from her Baptist church that was recorded, I think it was in the 70s. Uh, it's called Amazing Grace, the film. Oh, yes, I did remember this coming out. Yes, I missed it at the time. Yeah. The most phenomenal um, film of, like, live musicians playing. You know, that energy and seeing a, the audience in a way that, you know, reacting in a way to music that you never really see. Because normally things are edited, they're filtered. But this yeah. is kind of really cool. Yeah, and you're right there. If you see it in the cinema on a big screen, you know, you see yeah. these beads of sweat dripping down her. You know, you just, like... Everything is just, it's incredible. So one, oh, that does one, one person I, I do regret not having seen live and lots of other people. I mean, I can go on. Did you ever see Nina Simone live? No, she's another one that I'd have yeah. loved to see. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd love to have seen her. Yeah, I, I remember, I don't know about you, when you're sometimes a student, you're not the most m- motivated of people. And I remember one night after drama school or rehearsal or something, going to the pub and some people were going to see... Uh, 
the brilliant comedian and actor Max Wall in this Beckett play. And I stupidly didn't. I stayed in the pub and I thought, what on earth was I thinking of? <laughs> um, but that's, that's what it means to be young, I suppose, and stupid. Yeah. Um, um, can, we, can we jump forward a little bit, Zoe? Because obviously you went to university. And, and then at what point did you go and study in America? Well, that was after. So at university, I was doing a classical music degree, which, you know, at Oxford University, which it really wasn't me. It didn't suit me at all. All I wanted to do was like learn to be a jazz musician. And <laughs> <laughs> so I spent many hours. In fact, I set up a society, like a jazz society, as an excuse to sort of come to London on a coach with a few people and go to Ronnie Scott's, you know, yeah, and just yeah. basically invite any jazz musician I could to Oxford to do workshops or to gig. But I was sort of like focused very much on that while pretending to do my sort of classical music degree uh, very badly. <laughs> and then after that, so I knew I wanted to be a jazz musician. So I even did a dissertation on Bill Evans, you know, I sort of shoehorned it in there. And then so afterwards, I sort of hung around Oxford for about a year. I had no piano. I sort of used to sneak into the practice rooms sort of round the back of the Oxford music faculty. And then one day the sort of secretary saw me going in there and she just kicked me out and said, no, I'm here again. <laughs> then I, <laughs> I really had to sort something out to get a piano to practice on. And then I eventually moved to London. My sister had a, a spare room where she was staying and she, you know, lucky for me, she had a piano as well because she's a piano player. So I used to kind of like sneak down when she was out, play her piano. And then I bought a keyboard. So I was practicing. I remember listening to that album, Oscar Peterson, Night Train and trying yes, to learn yeah, yeah. that. I met in Oxford, I did meet, because it was an excuse when I was writing this dissertation on Bill Evans. I used to go up to jazz musicians at gigs. Like I met Julian Joseph's trio yes. game. Wow. Oxford, and they played and I went up to him afterwards and I was just got chatting, you know, I just want his help from, musicians you know how do I yeah. do this how do I play jazz can you give me advice so then I met up with him in London at the Steinway showrooms like in Marleybone he he would meet there I'd go and play him some stuff you know by then I'd started writing my own music so I'd play to him and he'd just say you need to listen to these albums so he took me to HMV on Oxford Street and we went to the basement where the jazz was and yeah, I remember that yeah. <laughs> and um gave me a whole list of albums so I did them in, I wrote the, he wrote the list, I worked my way through them, I listened, you know, I learned to play like all these great piano players, you know, I just learned their solos. It's not that I could do it myself, but you know, I just learned how they did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tried to then form my own kind of version of that um, while writing my own music. And then also I had lesson also Jason Rebello actually was another person oh, who wow. Gosh, yeah. workshop in Oxford so again I I came for a lesson with him I mean I only had one lesson with him but everything he told me you know it was really uh it was great I mean I'm still using that information from those people I just I just wanted to speak to as many people as possible um because that for me jazz it's not about kind of sitting down with a book and reading about it it's about actual experience. You know, when jazz was created, it was people actually playing live, you know, on a bandstand. Yeah. So I've, I've always tried to have that element as, as a way of learning the music. And also, as you say, engaging and being provoked by those kind of musicians as well. Do you know what I mean? Who are making you think about different things. It's uh... And then uh, what was your journey to the Sorry, States? Sorry, that was the question about half an hour ago. That's all right. No, no, you answered it brilliantly. I just was interested in your journey. Then. So then, because I met Julian... 
And he, around that time, I think he was on the television talking about Weekend Arts College. I don't know if you... Oh, you know, yes. You know yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. So he went there. And then, I, I don't know if he suggested or I thought, oh, that, yeah, I think he did suggest, like, get in touch with them. So they, there was a guy, trumpeter Ian Carr. Yes. And he used to run the weekly um, jazz workshop for young people. He wrote the famous book on Miles Davis as well, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So then I, went, I used to go every Sunday to his workshops and then that was really my first taste of you know being in a, an environment where people were learning by weekly you know it's it like a jam session basically he'd bring tunes and we'd play he was very strict you know yeah. you weren't allowed in the room if you were late then from there you know people from there had also gone to Berkeley uh, the, the ladies that ran that place are like Celia Greenwood amazing you know she's very good at looking at people's careers and how they could access uh, funding to go and do yeah. the thing that they really, they really wanted to do. Finding a way to Berkeley, you know, was a path that had been forged before with other people. Um, it took me a while to get there, but I, yeah, eventually I went on a summer course. I'd actually applied, I think it was in Glasgow, there was a sort of five week summer course, Berkeley. And for some reason, I can't remember why now, that got cancelled. So I thought, oh, right, well, I'll try and go to Boston then and do it there. <laughs> <laughs> Go to America. So I got some money, borrowed some money from someone I happened to be with at the time. Uh, and then I went to the summer course. And Joanne Bakin, one of the most amazing piano players I like, she was amazing. She played with like the Jazz Messengers. She oh, played wow. Stan Getz. She's written so many amazing albums. Um, there's one, and one of her albums, Special Identity, was one of the albums that Julian suggested that I... So she just happened to be, she teaches there on the faculty and she heard me play. She encouraged me to audition, to go there full time. That's how I ended up. I auditioned, I got the scholarship and then I, yeah, then I went. I only went for two semesters. You know, I didn't really have money. But what's, what was it like being, I assume, in a minority, being a, a British jazz musician in, in America with American jazz musicians, what did that feel Well, like? the thing is, about Berkeley, it's, it's international. Oh, okay. So there were okay. people from all over the globe. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's a bit like my son's school where he goes at the minute, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if I think, I, I remember, obviously, when we first met, uh, again, oh, 15 years ago, whatever, when I was searching for a jazz pianist to come and work with us on our show about Boris Vian, and I hung around like some odd groupie at your gig at the South Bank and uh, introduced That's myself. Normal, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you kind of uh, took a punt and we chatted and stuff and then you joined us and you, you helped create, I think, one of our most unique shows in I'm a Fool to Want You. And I think my memory, above all, I know Hayley shares this, as does Steve, was that because you didn't come from a theatre background at all, you were so brilliantly candid and provocative to us in terms of improvisation because I think we would say oh no we don't do it like that and and you would say you would say well you're just repeating yourself and I remember feeling a bit like mm, mm, yeah. and uh, and it was a <laughs> yeah I've uh, never been known for sort of being you know reserved. no no that's what was brilliant it was it, it, it changed the way we looked at improvisation even though obviously you were working in a different form that obviously it's completely different but the same principles apply. The, 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 the huge importance and focus on listening, um, yeah. you know, that comes before anything else. When I see people improvising in theatre and sometimes it's not working because they're not listening to other people. They're, yeah. You know, yeah. they're just doing their own thing. Um, so you, and then of course, since then we've collaborated a lot and most recently, you know, your brilliant score for, for, for the uh, Charlie and Stan thing. I don't know about you, but when I've done something, we've made something, I I have a desire to move forward. I'm not terribly good at 
sometimes maybe making the most of the thing that we've created you know I, I don't some people say oh you should tour it more but Haley and I've always wanted to move to the next thing I yeah. just wondered and also if I if I'm if I film something I've got no desire to watch myself do you actually listen to any of your albums ever or do you just do it and that's it now I've done that no, no, I don't like. No, I don't like listening to myself. Uh, I only do it because I have to. Because I have to yeah. know that you know which track you're going to use in which yeah. order and which solo version. You know, so I have to. I don't. I don't. No, I don't sit down of an evening and put. A no, I wasn't suggesting. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting. That. No, no, but there is one album of mine that I do have that removed from. It's like a Where Rivers Meet album, which is all my my father's favorite. Bengali oh, tunes. Oh yes, I know. And that I can album. listen yeah, to yeah. that because it's it's I just like the music. It's not I haven't written the music. Yeah, so I have that yeah. one step away and I can listen to it and you know at the end the end track has got like at the sound of I recorded off the balcony um in Dhaka my auntie's balcony with all the rickshaws get the bicycle bells like rickshaw bells oh, wow. dinging away. And so that sort of comes in and, and it's like that reminds me of going to my auntie's house and all my family, my extended family out there. You know, so it's very emotive for me listening to the album. It's nothing about me and listening no. to myself. It's about who I am as a person and my family connections and just, yeah, it, it you know, connects me to my dad who sadly he passed away, but, you know, it connects me back to him and, yeah. I'm going to go and listen to that again after this. That Yes, that's brilliant. I have... Um... I have one thing to, to finish off with. Without you thinking, I just want you to respond immediately to the things I'm about to ask you. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. McCoy Tyner or Bill Evans? McCoy Tyner. The sea or mountains? The sea. Lying by the pool or water skiing? Oh, lying by the pool, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Chili con carne or cottage pie? Oh, chili con carne. <laughs> Spider-Man or Batman? Neither. <laughs> that is a brilliant, a brilliant end. Zoe, it's been really lovely chatting to you. You are, without doubt, a, a brilliant musician. And I, I actually listen to your music a lot, so I'm allowed to do that. And I think anyone oh. who doesn't know your work uh, needs to know it very quickly. And I hope we can get together socially at some point. Definitely. It's funny when I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about like, you know, you, I thought you might ask me more about my regrets. And I, you know, I didn't really have any part of the ones we we're talking about, but I did have it. So, <laughs> can I tell you a quick one? Yeah, do. A, lo a lockdown regret was calling. Uh, my mum came, but she came to visit us early recently and she was desperate for fish and chips. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, I'll call our local chippy. So I ordered ahead. I rang, you know, can we have five cod and chips? And then Pat went round the corner, collect the cod and chips. The guy's like, yeah, come round in 10 minutes. And so Pat went, uh, he saw a queue, but the, the chip shop was closed and they were queuing for the post office. And then it turns out I'd ordered fish and chips on the other side of London, like oh. in a completely different establishment. Oh, no, and I felt so bad because a poor man, he'd waited like three months for a customer you know to to order i feel for your mother as well and in, in, in that in that in that scenario the level of disappointment when she'd waited that amount and actually i think fish and chips is i mean we went to our local one recently and it was the best meal i'd had in ages so i think that is a perfect regret to end on zoe um, and and in some ways you're partly responsible for that as well which makes it even better yeah. um, zoe take care love to the family i'll see you soon all right bye take care bye bye